title of this message is Believe. Let's go ahead and le- read Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8, and if you would stand with me as we read God's word this morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, it is necessary that the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. You may be seated. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What a powerful question that is. Why do you seek the living among the dead? When we think about life, I think, I think this past year, a lot of people have had a lot of time to think about a lot of things. And I hope that through this year, it's not just simply been the torturous time of getting through what, uh, what we've been going through, but you've actually used the time to kind of examine yourself and look at yourself and, and look at your life. And especially for us as believers to look at our faith. I have, I've tried to use uh, Facebook to challenge people. Uh, sometimes I've, I've put posts out uh, that are, would be provocative to many people. And it's, I've done so to try to spur thought and to get conversation going. Because I think it's vitally important that we as believers come out of this time realizing exactly where we are in the history of the world. I believe we are right at the end of time. I believe that Jesus Christ is going to be returning in the clouds in the rapture very soon. I believe that we're seeing that. I believe, I mean, I could go into a whole list of what is going on in society today to show you and to give you an understanding through prophecy of what is being set up. And I'm not going to get off on that rabbit trail. But I believe that's exactly where we are. And I believe that's why there is such a push from, and a pull from all sides to tear apart church and belief and people. And why within churches we're seeing struggle. Within the body of Christ we're seeing division. Because I believe Satan is trying his best to destroy the church, to destroy our witness, and to mute what we're doing so that we will not have the witness that we have in this world. Therefore, I think it's vitally important that we understand what it is that we believe. Now, I make no bones about it. I do not run your life. I don't want to run your life. I don't want to make your decisions for you. What my job as a pastor is, is to preach the Word of God, it's to study the Word of God, to educate myself, to learn to pray, to get leading from the Holy Spirit, and then to present to you what I believe God has laid on my heart to share with you. It is then your responsibility to listen, to take it in, to study it yourself, to apply it to your lives, and to grow. I can't make you do that, but that's what this is all about. 
So I hope that you understand that as we get into this message, that this is what I believe and this is what our church teaches and believes. Today we celebrate Easter. It's the most important day in our faith. The day that our redemption was completed. This whole last three days, very special time in the Christian faith. When Jesus died, gave his life a ransom for many. Spent three days in the tomb just as he, just as it was prophesied, just as he said many times. And then rose from the grave victorious over death. Everything in our faith, you need to understand this, everything in our faith rises and falls on Easter. Everything about our faith rises and falls on Easter. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. You understand that, right? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is worthless. But today we celebrate the fact that he did rise from the grave. It's right that we celebrate Easter. It's right that we've had such a, I think just a wonderful, I, I, the children I love, it's always, I love hearing the kids sing. And then the, the church, and, and Aaron leaned over to me and she said, the next worship team. I think it's awesome. I, I love to see our kids up there singing as shy as they, you, you, ever, want, you ever realize, you ever, you ever see kids that are just incredibly outgoing and you put them in front of a crowd? I, I think that's what we should do with our kids all the time. Just put them in front of a crowd because boom. All of a sudden, they stand straight and everything's cool. By the way, Elvin is here this morning. His wife, Tatiana, and his brand new baby boy, Ian, are at home. But you say congratulations to him when you see him on the birth of their son. And it's good to have you here, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. It's a good thing that we're doing this, that we're doing by being in church, by worshiping and praising our Savior. It's a good thing that we're doing this today. And, but why can we be so certain of something that we cannot prove? Have you ever thought of that? Why can we be so certain? When we come together and we praise and we worship and we sing, why can we be so certain that what we're doing is right? And, uh, because quite honestly, many people in the world today don't agree with us. Many faiths in the world today don't agree with this. Even within Christianity, the, the umbrella, if you will, of Christianity, there are many who don't agree with what we have to say. So why can we be so certain of what it is that we believe? And if you're watching with us today, or maybe you're here this morning, and, and you've come to church on Easter Sunday, and you're watching on Easter Sunday because you feel like that's the right thing to do, why, why maybe you're wondering, why can someone like myself be so dead set certain that I know the truth of eternal life? It's a question I want to try to answer for you this morning. I can't take you to Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and show you Jesus hanging on a cross. I can't take you to a tomb and have two angels tell you that Jesus isn't there anymore, like those two angels did on the first Easter morning. I can't take you on a walk and invite you to walk with Jesus 
and let him tell you what he came to earth for and what his life was all about and what living and dying and then going back to heaven meant for humanity. Those things simply aren't possible. But what I can do is tell you why I believe. I can share with you facts that support my faith. I can share Bible verses and teaching that is so powerful, so amazingly powerful, that it has convinced not only me, but literally millions of people around the world down through the centuries to follow Jesus. So that's what I'm going to try to do for you this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, if you are a seeker, if you're watching us online and you're a seeker and you're just, you're, you're, you're participating this morning because you feel like it's the right thing to do, I would ask you to open up your heart and your mind and I'd ask you to listen to what I have to say and give it an honest listen. If you're a believer here this morning and maybe you're on the fence about your faith and Easter is, maybe you're a new lifer and you haven't been here for a year and you're still watching us online and, and this is all kind of, all kind of made you wonder because you're looking at what's going on in the world and some, so many times God seems silent. So many times God seems detached. My favorite Christian author is Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey wrote The Jesus I Never Knew, what an amazing book. An amazing book on, uh, on, on his search for Jesus and meaning in Jesus. He wrote the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which if you're, ever, if, you're ever, if you're a person who is very black and white in life and you're very crime and punishment in life, I would challenge you to, to get the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and read it. And learn about the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that God has extended to this world, the grace that God extended to you. And just like our new logo is a mirror of the grace of God, and that's what we represent, we are to be that mirror of the grace of God to this world. And that's kind of where things have gone off the tracks in, in Christianity lately, isn't it? And maybe you're wondering where all this fits together as a Christian and how, how you're supposed to respond to it. Or maybe you just need a recharge of your batteries because this has been an incredibly brutal year. It's been an amazingly brutal year. And you need a reminder of why you need to keep pushing forward. Let me start with this. Truth is not relative. Now that is totally different than what we're hearing in the world today. Truth is not relative. Even when it comes to education, those of you who have children in elementary school that are learning math right now, I, I know if my father was still teaching math, or and my, 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 I come from a teaching family, it was a good thing because I'm not that smart and it was good to have people ahead of me that taught me, right? And my, my, uh, my mother and father, not only was my dad a pastor, he was a teacher, and then my two sisters taught as well. And if they were teaching today and they were given some of the information about math that you have to teach today, there, are, there is a thinking in the math world that it doesn't matter what answer you come up with, that it matters only 
that you write down how you got there and try to figure out how to get. Can I just tell you, no, <laughs> that's not right, man. There is truth in mathematics. Two plus two will always equal four. I don't care if you do it, I, I don't care how you come to the answer of four, whether you go one plus one plus one plus one, if you go two plus two, if you go three plus one, if you go zero plus four, the answer is always, if you wanna find out how to get to four, you're always gonna have to use four numbers or four, it's always gonna have to be a total of four. It's always gonna have to come up with that total. You see, I'm not a teacher, so I can't explain it very well. But two plus two is always going to equal four. Truth is not relative. There is truth in this world. The fact, the, the, the idea that truth is relative and truth cannot be found, and it, it, it's what drives me crazy. At the age of 58, a lot of things, things that just, things that just used to roll off my back, now as a, as a grouchy old man, they drive me up a tree. And when people say, I'm speaking my truth, I, the old man in me wants to just, like old days, just walk up and smack them in the head. Like, you know, those of you who come from a fundamental Baptist church, if you were ever fooling around in the pews, Susan Juba, <laughs> if you were ever fooling around in the pews, there was some guy behind you or some lady behind you, there was always that big knuckled man that will, boom, just pop you on the back of the head. That's what I want to do sometimes, just kind of, it's not your truth. You do not have a corner on truth. Truth is truth. You might have your interpretation of it. You might have your application of it. But the fact of the matter is, there is one truth. And when we come to eternal life, when we come to what happens after we die, something has to be true. There is truth. I believe, and I make no bones about this, I believe the Bible is truth. I believe the Bible is truth. I believe that the story it tells is true, and that the words and teachings of Jesus are true. Now, that may not line up with you, you may not agree with me, and that's okay. Because everybody has the free will to believe what they wanna believe. But just because you believe something different, does not mean it's true. <clears throat> Jesus says in, Ma in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus himself, the creator of all things, the God of this, not just this world, the God of the universe, the creator of the entire universe said this, I am truth. There is truth. And if you come to know the truth, you will be set free. New life is either our faith that is taught in the Bible is the truth or it isn't. There isn't any middle ground. We have to understand that. There's no middle ground. The message from this pulpit is the message of truth as it's taught in the Bible. The bottom line is that you must choose what you will believe to be true. 
You must make the choice for yourself about where you place your faith. And if you are going to be part of this church, and if you're going to try to move forward and reach this world with the gospel, you must choose the truth of the word of God. The stakes are too high for us to choose anything else. The, the stakes are too high for us to equivocate with people and say, oh yeah, there's many different ways to get to heaven. We're going to find out according to the word of God, there isn't. Now you have options of what to believe. Very popular today, science has the answers. Science has the I believe in science. Let's say that right up front. I believe in science. I'm a walking science experiment. I, hopefully, by the end of this year, I'll have a new another new titanium hip. I want a, I want a matching set. And uh, maybe even a new knee by the end of next year. So I'll have a matching set there. I believe in science. I have, I've, I'm double vaccinated. I'm good to go. Free bird, man. I believe it. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not one of those people that, uh, you know, and once again, you believe whatever you want, but I've, and you can, you can choose to get it or not. I know there's a lot of reasons not to get it, that people don't want to get it. That's fine. I choose to get it because I want to get my life back to normal. I believe in science, but I believe in science because science proves God, in my opinion, and according to the word of God. You can, you can have the, uh, the Forrest Gump view of life, that we're all just kind of floating around, and that when we die, it's over. You can believe many of the various religions are out there, that there are many ways to heaven, or paradise, or nirvana, or whatever you want to call it. Or you can believe the Bible. But understand, if you choose the Bible, you need to accept what the Bible teaches. I think that's the biggest issue. So let me take just a, a couple minutes and, and make a case for believing in the Bible. Make a case for what the Bible has to say. Can we trust the Bible? The biblical manuscripts have been reliably transmitted from the authors to us today. Even if we did not have, even, even if we did not have the surviving text of the biblical text that we have today, nearly the entire New Testament could be re reconstructed with quotes found in the writings of ancient church fathers. We just had one child saved in Sunday school. It's awesome. So even if we did not have the, the texts that we have, with the quotations that come from early church fathers and what they wrote, and the agreement that they have, we could reconstruct the entire New Testament. Further, by 115 AD, Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, assumed the four Gospels were simply authentic because the way they had been passed down. By 170 AD, Tatian combined these four Gospels into a book called Diatessaron. That was an early harmony of the Gospel. If you, if you've, uh, if you have a library, uh, you might have a copy of what is called, a book called The Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, 
Well, this was an early Harmony of the Gospels written back in 170 A.D., or put together back in 170 A.D. And by 180 A.D., these four Gospels were so well established and recognized by Iranian, uh, Irenaeus, Bishop of Gaul, that the early church fathers just accepted them as Gospel. They also accepted it as fact that because we had them and because they had been handed down so, uh, so faithfully that what they had was the true gospel and they didn't lose any. As with other ancient books, the physical pieces of paper, the original manuscripts have been lost to time, but we have thousands of ancient writings and I think this is one thing that we have to understand, especially for Christians. And when we get into a, this is what we, when we get into this, we, this is called apologetics or defending our faith. People say, well, you don't know. The Bible has changed through time. You've got to understand, it hasn't. Even though we don't have the original writings, we have copies of writings and copies of copies. And those copies, when combined and, and put together, agree are in, are in complete agreement. We have over 5,400 pieces of paper, scraps of paper, pages of the New Testament that have been copied and that all agrees together. Now, for comparison, Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars, which is accepted as truth handed down, there are less than 10 surviving copies. So there, just for the New Testament, there are over 5,400 pieces of paper that combine to show that the, the New Testament has been translated faithfully. That's not taking into to account the Old Testament. The Old Testament isn't even questioned because the Jewish uh, scholars took such great care when they copied the scriptures. Sometime, if you wanna do an interesting study, do a study on how the, new, how the Old Testament was handed down and what those scribes did when they copied the Old Testament. And of those 5,400 distinct pieces of paper and writings that we get our New Testament from, many of them go back to the, fir to the first three centuries of after Christ. Some of them even go back to the first century. Whereas Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars are 900, the, the, the earliest copy is 900 years after it was originally written. We can confidently say because of what we have that not one major doctrine of Christianity, not one major doctrine of our faith rests on any, any disputed or uncertain passage. We have what the Bible says and what it means. By comparing ancient copies of New Testament content with each other, we find a remarkably stable history of copy making. There are very few minor deviations and Many of those are slips of the pen because they copied it with pen. There are no game changers. Yeah. 
Actually, the only Christian books dated confidently to the first century are the very ones that finally made up the New Testament. The only Christian books that are confidently dated to the first century are the ones that we have in the New Testament. Most of them already have been recognized by Christians as authoritative by the end of the first century. And not until about a hundred years later did other books, extra gospel books, start showing up. Finally, the, the books of the Bible are the ones early followers of Jesus considered authoritative. What all that means is this. The credibility of the Bible is beyond question. What we have today, this scripture, whether you have it on your laptop, whether you have it on your phone, whether you have it on your iPad, or whatever it is you use, electronic device, whether you have it in written form, this is the Bible that the apostles wrote and taught. This is the Bible that Jesus gave to us. It is authoritative. What we have is the Bible. Well, why is that such a big deal, Pastor John? Because that has to be your starting point. When it comes to faith, when it comes to belief, when it comes to giving your life to something, understand what we do here as Christians, what we do in church, we don't, we're not playing games. We're not having a social construct. We're not having a, a social gathering. We're meeting to praise and worship the God of the universe, the Savior of all mankind, and to learn about our faith and grow in our faith, and then to go out and share our faith with others so that they might hear about Jesus and come to know Him as their Savior. You see, today many people will be celebrating Easter without understanding what Easter is all about. I, I'm, I make an annoyance of myself with people on Facebook as well. Because when they talk about celebrating, you know, doing things for Easter and put what, what goes in a basket and this and that and the other thing, I said, well, you know, you pick out whatever chocolate. I personally think that a uh, Cadbury cream egg is, is right next to heaven. They also, Reese's has also put out a peanut butter egg. It's not a half egg anymore. It's a full egg, full peanut butter egg. And that... That's pretty good. It's good stuff. But I write to people, hey, listen, if you want to truly celebrate Easter for the right reasons, come to my church. Because I think it's vitally important that we as a church understand and celebrate for the right reasons. Because many people today are celebrating Easter. They're getting together with family. They're having hunts in their yard. They're having special dinners. And they don't know what it is that they're celebrating. And it's so vitally important that we, the church, the followers of Jesus, we know what we believe. Oh man, it's so vitally important that we know. Why do you think we spent so much time and had meetings and conversations about a new logo and you say, well, it's a logo, Pastor John. It's more than that. It represents what we believe. 
And when, pe- when you take that refrigerator magnet and put it on your refrigerator, you get the, when we come out with the, the car magnets and you put it on your car, we've got bags on the way. And you can go to, now in the grocery store, you, it, it's, you, you, can't t- you can't use, you know, you, you have to bring your own bags. I don't, it's crazy. Or you can buy them for 10 cents. We've got, we've got new life bags with our new logo on it. That, we're, that are coming in. We got pens you can give out, and we're gonna have, man, we can't give enough of this stuff away because we want people to see it, and I want you to look at it. Remember when we, when we came out with a sign many, many years ago, those of you are still here? And on that sign, we had the symbols of, we had the, the wheel, the Christian wheel, and we had the ichthus, and I told you, that's not for them, that's for us. So that we remember that when people come in to our church, they're free to seek for Jesus Christ. Well, we went through that whole logo presentation so you'll remember what it is we're here for. We're here to learn about grace. And when we go out there, we mirror grace to the world. And we're here to remind each other that we have some folks going through COVID right now in our church. And we need to remember that we need to reach out and love on them. And we have people that are struggling with this year. And we need to remember that we go through hills and valleys of, as a church. And we need to remember that the cross is the game changer of life. See, that's what these things are about and that's why it's so important that we know what it is that we believe because as I said, Easter is the greatest day, the most worthy day to be celebrated in the Christian faith. This is what the Bible teaches us. This is what we believe to be true. So I suppose to emphasize the true meaning of Easter, we need to talk about what this day represents, what it's all about. What is the truth of Easter? That's why I spent that time talking about truth. There is truth. Listen, people can come up and say whatever they want. They can come up with whatever they want. And entire religions and entire uh, doctrines have been built outside of the Bible, and people follow entire faiths that do not incorporate the truth of the Word of God. We lay all our cards on the table here at New Life. We tell you what we believe. We don't do a bait and switch. We tell you up front that we believe what the Bible teaches, and then we go into the Bible and tell you what it's all about. So what is Easter all about? The Easter story starts with a need. The Easter story starts with a need. It wasn't a need about coloring eggs. It wasn't a need to have ham for dinner. I looked at Aaron this morning. We're having ham for, for dinner. And how did ham become... You ever wonder about that? How did ham become like the traditional Easter dinner? Because like Passover was a lamb and Passover... Easter is the, and I don't know, man, but I like ham. But now, let me ask this. All right, we'll take a little side note here. How many of you like a ham that is glazed, like a glazed ham? In my house, I can't, I can't glaze the ham in my house. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. My... My wife, I, I, have to, I have to have the glaze and put it on the side and you can do it yourself. And uh, my wife doesn't like a sweet ham. I am a sweet ham, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but 
But we can't do that for Easter, man. But anyway, the Easter story starts with a need. That need is the need for a redeemer. That is the central purpose of life for a Christian. That is the central question to be answered by every human being. My greatest need is the, redeem, is the need for a redeemer. What happens to me when I die? What is, there, what is this life all about? As Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote, there's more to this life than living and dying, more than just trying to make it through the day. There's more to this life. What is it? The world has a great need of a redeemer. Every human being has a need of a redeemer. The story of Easter starts with the need of a redeemer. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is where we lose many people. And you have to ask ourselves the question as Christians, as a church, <laughs> why is it that we lose people at this point? I think there's a couple reasons. I think, first of all, it's just an offense. When you say that everyone is a sinner, you don't have to personalize it to people. You can just say it in a, in a, in a broad macro sense that all human beings are sinners and people get upset. I'm not a bad person. Nobody said you're a bad person. If you're watching us today and you've just been offended by that, I'm not saying you're a terrible person. I'm saying that the Bible says that we have all sinned. Sin simply means to miss the mark. Sin doesn't mean, and in God's eyes, sin is sin. We quantify and qualify sin as human beings. And we say one sin is worse than the other. But in God's view, sin is sin, and sin separates us from God. Because sin, imperfection, cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. This is a definitive statement. A definitive statement of an immediate problem. Whether we like to hear it or not, we're all sinners. And this fact of sin causes a separation between us and God. Paul wrote, because we're sinners, we fall short. We fall short of the glory. We fall short of the standard of God. What is that standard all about? That standard is the standard to be reconciled to God and to spend eternity with Him in heaven. Our sin separates us from God for all eternity. That's the way we start out. That doesn't seem fair. If I were to take a poll of everybody here this morning, of everybody watching us, if I were to take a poll of everybody, period, in this world, I would venture to say that a large majority, you're always going to have contrarians that always take the opposing view just to take it. But I would say of the entire world, a vast majority of humanity would say that that's not fair. And I would have to agree. It doesn't seem fair to me. But life isn't fair. We teach that to our children, don't we? You better. <laughs> because my, my sons, if, if, those of you who are your kids are getting ready to go back to school, if you, if you don't live in our town, if you live in Springfield or other places, your kids are getting ready to go back to school. Life, listen, it's not fair to have to sit apart from your friends and to have to eat lunch in silence and have to wear a mask all day in school. I don't know if I could have done that. 
I really don't. I don't, hats off to these kids for enduring what they're enduring this year. Because it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Last year, I mean, when you graduated from high school, that was a great day, wasn't it? I remember when, when my oldest son, Zach, graduated. It was, we didn't find out he was gonna graduate until the day before graduation. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it was that close. And it was a celebration, man. It was a celebration that that, that, uh, that kid got through high school. And these poor, these poor kids didn't get to graduate. That's just not fair. But can I say this without being, without sounding mean or cold? That's life. Life isn't fair. And if we're going to change life for the standard of eternal life and say that, well, that's just not fair, then we're just totally discounting what life is all about. Whether it's fair or not, the fact of the matter is we're all sinners. And the fact of the matter is our sin separates us from God because you see, our sin has consequences. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. I was talking with Ramon a little earlier, and he's uh, looking for help at his, at his uh, pizzeria. And those of you who are uh, business owners and you're trying to find people to, nowadays, it's tough to find people that will stay because you can make more right now by not working than you can by working. And I understand the purpose at the beginning, but I'm not gonna get into that part. But um, when, time, when the time comes, for those of us who work, when the time comes to get that paycheck for what you've worked for, you expect to get it, right? The Bible says the same way that your physical labor has a reward or a payment, a wage, your sin has a wage as well. Your sin has a payment, and that payment is death. Not only physical death, but the most important part there is spiritual death. Many people have, are under the assumption that when they were babies, original sin was washed away through baptism, and that's just not a biblical teaching. It's not in the Bible. We are all still sinners in need of a savior. And that sin has a payment, and that payment is death. It also means this, that one day we will all have to face, after our death, we will all have to face the God of all the universe and face his judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 says, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. At that moment of judgment, only one thing will matter. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 and verse 15 say, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, you can believe what you want, you can think what you want, you can decide what you want, you can follow what you want, but the one thing you can't change is what the Bible has to say. 
And the Bible clearly says that we are all sinners in need of a savior. The Bible clearly says that our sin has consequences, has payment. And that payment clearly from the Bible is death. And the Bible clearly says that when we die, we will stand before God, whether we make it to the end and, and you go to the white throne judgment, whether you're a Christian and you go to the Bema seat, or whether you die before the rapture and you stand before God. The Bible says the books will be open and your name will be sought in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, whatever you want to call it. Wherever you come from, whatever they called it. The Bible says there is a book with names in it. And those names are the names of people who have accepted Jesus Christ. And the Bible clearly says in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15, that if your name is not found written in the book of life, in God's book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, if your name is not found there, you will spend eternity in a place called hell. Not because you were a horrible person, not because you did terrible things, but for one reason and one reason only, you never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. To most humans, that seems harsh and unfair, and you may feel that way. But quite honestly, and I don't mean to be blunt or harsh, but quite honestly, how we feel about it doesn't change the fact of the matter. I wasn't crazy about the fact that opening day, the Dodgers lost to the Colorado Rockies. Didn't make my day. Now we've since won the next two. But I didn't like it. But it didn't change the fact. They lost opening day. And I may not like this fact. In fact, I don't like it. I'll just be very honest with you. I don't like it. You know why? You know, what, you know what my not liking that has motivated me to do? To give my life to tell other people about Jesus Christ. I don't like the fact that people are born separated from God. And that that sin has consequences. And that consequence is separation from God. And if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their savior they'll spend eternity in a place called hell. I don't like that at all. But not liking that is not, does not change that fact. What I can do is accept it and allow it to motivate me to reach others for Jesus Christ. But Easter changed our fate. Easter gave us the chance to have our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Easter changed everything. How? Well, the Easter story reveals true love. The love of God for humanity. Love enough to give his son as payment for our sin. Love deep enough and strong enough to die. Love that cared enough to take a risk. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As a father of three sons, my oldest son, all three of my boys go to church here. I don't know if Zach likes being called a boy or not. It doesn't really matter. He's still my boy. And all three of my boys go to church with me. And all three of my boys were involved in ministry this morning. I was proud of that. I understand when, when Osvaldo looks up and he sees his son playing the drums and I see the smile on his face. I understand that. 
All three of my boys were involved in ministry this morning. I love that. But I understand what sacrifice is because my oldest boy, the one I've trained in ministry, the one I've grown so close to, the one who is, uh, has part of my heart, is going to be leaving. And he's going to be going and taking the gift that God has given him to minister to others. And I'm so proud of that fact. I really, truly am, don't get me wrong. But there's a part of me that hurts because he's not going to be with me anymore. It's a huge sacrifice on my part. Now, I don't control what he and Tiffany do. That's not my role in life. That's not what, I, that's not what, what I'm about. And I wouldn't change it for the world because I believe God has given him a special anointing to lead a church. But it doesn't make it any easier to say goodbye. So when I think of that, I think of what God the Father must have gone through to send his only begotten son, Jesus, knowing what he was going to have to go through knowing the sacrifice, knowing what he was setting aside, and knowing that at some point he was going to have to turn his back on his son because he couldn't look on sin. That was love. That wasn't animosity. That wasn't anger. That wasn't judgment. That was love. The Easter story tells us and reveals to us true love. Romans 5, 8 says, For God proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were the ones wrong, we were the ones in sin, Jesus died for us. God loved us enough that he was willing to send his son Jesus to die for our sins, to pay a price we couldn't pay. If you're here this morning, if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, you need to understand, you couldn't pay this price, but Jesus paid it for you, and it was because of love. God loved us enough to give hope in a hopeless situation, and quite honestly, the Easter story defines hope, doesn't it? The Easter story defines hope for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if in this life only we have hope of Jesus, we are of all people most miserable. If what we have here, if what we celebrated today, if this is all there is for us, then we're miserable people. There is so much more to Jesus. There is so much more to salvation. There is so much more to grace than just this life. The hope of life beyond death. The hope of heaven. I love... Gabriel and Michael talking with Gabriel and Michael now because they have a lot of questions. And they ask questions about heaven. They have a lot of questions about what it's going to be like. I love the questions about baseball in heaven. And it's, of course, we watched Field of Dreams for the first time with them yesterday. And they were glued to it, man. They thought it was so cool. So cool. One of the, one of the guys mentioned Jackie Robinson and Gabriel turned around and says, Dad, Jackie Robinson. And I know, I know. Cool. I love talking about heaven with my boys. I love talking about heaven, period. 
That is the hope we have. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. He gave us the power to become his children by believing in his name. John 14, one through three says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That is the hope we have of Jesus Christ. That is the hope that he offers to us. Love that cared enough to die. Love that through its sacrifice provided hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, we have hope of eternal life with God in heaven. And you may say, well, that's all, that's all wonderful. That's, that's great, Pastor John. I'm glad. That's, ha that's, that's happy stuff. But what does that mean to me? Remember right at the beginning of this, we talked about believing, and the title of this message is Believe. I ask you the question, what is it that you believe? What is it that you're trusting in, in your life, for life beyond the grave? Do you even believe there's life after death? <laughs> what is it that you're believing? What is it that you're trusting? What is it that you're holding on to? Is there something? Listen, we all believe in something. We all believe in something. The Easter story is a story of believing. The Easter story is a story of believing. What do you believe? It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what we believe in the grand scheme of things as far as what is true because only one thing can be true. Most faith, most faith or belief systems have lasted for simply a short period of time in history or have have a very limited reach, but the message of Jesus has endured for over 2,000 years. That's why I gave you so much information at the beginning about the Bible. It has endured for 2,000 years, and the, the precursor to it, Judaism, the, the Judaic law, that existed for even longer. And it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. What Jesus taught when he walked the earth is the same message that we share and must accept today. You must be born again. If you want to have hope of eternal life, you must be born again. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God loves you enough to give you the free will to choose your eternity, to choose what you believe break it down for you, the Bible clearly says that we're all sinners. The Bible clearly says that because of our sin, we're separated from God. The Bible clearly says that if we continue in that hopeless condition, that at the end of our lives, we'll stand before God, and if our name is not written in the book of life, then we will be cast into a place called hell and we'll spend eternity there. The Bible says clearly that we as human beings in our own selves are in a hopeless situation. But the Bible also tells us that the love of God sent Jesus Christ to the, to the cross to provide hope. Because Jesus alone could die for our sins and pay the price for all humanity, for all of our sins. The Bible says one sacrifice for sins forever. The Bible says that what Jesus did on the cross when he was killed and then he was buried and then he rose from the grave, 
was overcome hell, death, and the grave and have victory over Satan, have victory over death. And he paid the price for your sins and he now offers you the gift of eternal life. And many people celebrate and say, well, great, that's wonderful, that's awesome. Jesus paid the price, I'm all set. There's one step that they leave out. And that's that step of believing. See, the Bible doesn't just say that just believe the Easter story and you're all set. The Bible says your belief must spur you to action. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. What do you believe? Everyone has to believe in something. Even believing in nothing is believing in something. What about Jesus? My question to you, my, my offering to you this morning is Jesus. No other God, no other leader, no other person gave their life so that you might live beyond death. No other faith claims to give you a free gift of eternal life by admitting that you aren't good enough to earn it. Only Jesus had the courage to give you the free will and the free mind to make a conscious decision for yourself about your eternal soul. So what do you believe? The Bible clearly tells us that all it takes is to put our faith in Jesus. All it takes to put our faith in Jesus is to believe that what I've told you is true. This isn't John Chase's doctrine. This is what the Bible has to say. To admit that you need a savior to ask Jesus to come into your heart and save your soul. It's a matter of simply humbling yourself and praying. Would you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, this is a moment of decision. The Bible clearly says that we're all sinners in need of a savior. Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you've heard it before and never acted on it. Whatever the case may be, in this moment, Jesus is calling to you. And he says, I died for you. It's what Easter is all about. I gave my life a ransom for many. And one of those many is you. And the last step of you completing the Easter story in your own life is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. How do you do that? Here in just a second, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, I invite you this morning to repeat that prayer with me. Say it with meaning in your heart. Truly believe in that you're asking the Lord of all creation to come into your heart and take away your sin and give you eternal life. If you're watching us online, you can do the same. Prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot, on my own, earn my way to heaven that I cannot ever be good enough on my own. But I know 
that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins that I could not pay. And I know that you are offering me eternal life because of your sacrifice. I ask you right now to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and save my soul. I accept your gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. Amen. With every head still bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning with us in the auditorium and you prayed that prayer, I'd ask you, while nobody else is looking around, it's just you, me, and God, if you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I prayed that prayer this morning, ask Jesus to come into my heart. If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, and you prayed that prayer, and you asked Jesus to come into your heart, I'd ask you to, it may, maybe in the comment thread, or if you don't want to make it in the comment thread, you can send us a private message and tell us, Pastor John, I prayed that prayer, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior this morning. We're not looking to come to your house and, and uh, take over anything. We just want to rejoice because the Bible says that if you just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to come into your heart, the angels of heaven are rejoicing over your soul. And we want to rejoice as well. Thank you for your patience this morning. Thank you for being here to celebrate such a great day. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much <laughs> for the privilege of being here today. Father, it's been so good to see people. It's been so good to be connected on a day like today. Lord, I pray that you will bless each and every heart. I pray for those who, uh, who prayed that prayer, God. Would you give them the courage to reach out? Thank you for the one who accepted Christ in the children's ministry this morning. God, may your name be glorified and praised in all things. I pray, Father, that as we go from this place today, as we celebrate the rest of this day, we'll remember what we're here for, what this is all about. In your name we pray. Amen.